BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Well, she's got a lot of things on her mind to talk about talk now. About now to talk about. She's taking care of her voice, so you know that she's not going to shout now. No Fun, the Jen Kirkman Podcast, episode 378, coming out on March 10th, 2021. Hi, I am your host, Jen Kirkman. Now, of course, if you had the Patreon version of this podcast, you would have it five days early and the exclusive video version. And in that video version, the episode is actually 90 minutes, not 60. I talk about extra stuff that you What is this podcast? This is me, Jen Kirkman. I'm a comedian. It's where I come to be a real person. It's sometimes funny, sometimes serious, but it's always honest and real. I do have two Netflix specials. I'm going to die alone and I feel fine, as well as one titled Just Keep Living. That's where I go to do practiced and rehearsed jokes that I've gone all over practicing and rehearsing. This is unscripted, unfiltered, off the top of my head, and man, does it get me in trouble sometimes. I also have two books that I wrote, again, edited gone over and over. Very, here's what I meant to say, I think. Not unscripted. Books are books. I, I, know, what I'm do, I, I know what I'm doing. Another lies I tell myself is the last book that came out and I can barely take care of myself. That's a memoir about not wanting kids. Please get both. They're available in audio version, paperback, ebook. All right. So this podcast, I started it seven years ago. It used to be called I Seem Fun. If you want to access the archives, go to jenkirkman.com, click podcast. There will be a link in there for you. It'll take you back on the SoundCloud and you can listen to what this whole journey has been. But I'm glad you're here now. Welcome if you're new. And hello again, hello if you're old or returning, however you want to put yourself. If you're a longtime funner or no funner, or I seem funner, whatever. I'm part of the Misfit Toys comedy collective of podcasts. Other great podcasts on there include Never Not Funny, Mike Schmidt's The 40-Year-Old Boy, uh, Todd Glass's The Todd Glass Show, and Doug Loves Movies. I'm on a recent episode of Doug Loves Movies. I will put that in the show notes so you can listen. And again, click the show notes. The link for the podcast collective will be there, and you can check out all the podcasts that are part of it. So I mentioned that I talk off the top of my head for better or for worse. Well, last week I talked about getting the vaccine and I am getting backlash from some people. I am being called a white woman who took appointments away from people of color and people are disappointed in me. I don't even know if these people listen to the podcast. I don't know if there are trolls going around that scrub through and just because this person wrote something on Instagram saying this white woman did this and she bragged that she wouldn't go to jury duty um, 
if she got called because of COVID and then she does this. And I'm like, but I did a lot more about COVID than that all year for you regular listeners. So let me give you more context of how I got the vaccine. And then I'm going to shut the fuck up about it because people just want to be mad. People want to eat the rich and they never know who the rich are. I know I'm white, but I'm not that kind of white. Of course, I have a long way to go in relinquishing my grip on white supremacy. I have a long way to go. And I'm always learning. But this is just not one of those cases. Does that make sense? So I found out even more information because I got in contact with the person that told me about this website. And I was, I was asking, what, what was this situation? Like, well, I don't understand exactly what happened because, uh, so basically, let me tell you the controversy that's going on here in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, in certain communities in Los Angeles, in black Latino communities, I'm just going to read you this quick article from the LA Times. There is a California program intended to improve COVID-19 vaccine ability, availability to people in hard-hit communities of color. And it's being misused by outsiders who are grabbing appointments reserved for residents of underserved Black and Latino areas. That is not where I got my vaccine. The program to address inequities in vaccine distribution relies on special access codes that enable people to make appointments on the My Turn vaccine scheduling website. That is not the website that I used. The codes, which of which I did not have one, are provided to community organizations to distribute to people in largely Black and Latino communities. But these codes have been circulating in group texts and messages among the wealthier work-from-home set in Los Angeles. The Times has learned that many of those people are not yet eligible for the vaccine under state rules. Some people have some people able to make appointments have been driving to Cal State Los Angeles to get the shots. Again, none of that is me or what I did. It's unclear how the codes got into the hands of outsiders, but the situation has forced the state to scramble to protect the integrity of an equity program that Governor Gavin Newsom and other officials have been hailing. The state canceled appointments made with at least one of the access codes after the Times inquired about it last week. Establishing fairness in the vaccine distribution process has loomed large over California's vaccine rollout. Gavin Newsom has often spoke about the importance of administering vaccines through an equity lens. But deep inequities have still emerged in vaccine administration in the state, with white and Asian residents in affluent areas being inoculated at much higher rates than Black and Latino people in poorer areas. Under the plan, the state aims to set aside a block of appointments every day at Cal State LA and the Oakland Coliseum, according to an email sent to community partners from the Director of the Office of Access and Functional Needs at the California Governor's Office of Emergency Services. The block of appointments are only accessible with a specific code, which will change periodically based on usage. The codes are intended for use by people in communities of color who are vaccine eligible, including healthcare workers and those older than 65. 
But problems with the program emerged shortly after the codes became available. Um, Okay, so this is a thing that wealthy people in Beverly Hills were doing. Again, I will reiterate what happened to me. I live in Studio City. My town does not have shots. Yet. I don't know if the CVS here will or what. Glendale is just a couple towns over. Glendale is it's a like middle class to wealthy community. There's wealthy parts and it's, it's, it's middle class. For some reason, the city of Glendale, which I don't control any of this, And by the way, Glendale would be about a half hour drive from these hard hit communities. And again, this has zero to do with that. But if you are 65 and older and a healthcare worker in LA, there are many, many sites, including the Bay One at Dodger Stadium. Um, Pharmacies now are open. Uh, There's many little state sites where you can go. This was a one-time pop-up, last-minute vaccine dump. The city of Glendale had extra Pfizer, and through the city of Glendale, this, I don't know, this little collective, this little group, they came in their trailer, and they set up shots outside. And on Friday night at midnight, appointments were released. Not codes, not hey, this is only for hard-hit communities because this wasn't in a hard-hit community. Now you may go, well, why, did they, why didn't they dump it in the hard-hit community? Well, each city has its own thing. So I don't, you'd have to call the city of Glendale and go, when you guys had extra Pfizer, why didn't you drive it to um, Inglewood? I don't know. But this is what happened. Is someone that A friend of a friend had it and said, hey, look at this. It looks like performers can sign up. They are prioritizing 65-year-older in healthcare. So I signed up. I am a performer who performs in uh, rooms that have food and drink. Now, you could argue, but you're not doing that now. No, I'm not because I'm not a fucking asshole who is performing while people are indoors with not proper ventilation, laughing for an hour without masks on. Every comedy club you see that says people have to wear masks, they have to wear them when they walk in. And then when they sit down, they don't have to wear them if they're drinking or eating. Well, do you really think they're going to keep their mask on, take a sip? Fuck off. Every comic I know who's been on the road says nobody's wearing a mask. So I won't participate in that because that is actively hurting poor communities and people of color and healthcare workers. By creating opportunities for more people to gather together to get sick in my name so I can tell my jokes when I can do it online and everyone stays home. So that, to me, I'm proud of that. If that's not enough for some people, God bless you. I don't know what to tell you. You know, I've tried to tell you all this whole podcast is to tell you who I am. And yet people are just posting about me, this white woman and her shit. This is so... Uh, it's a little intellectually dishonest So, of, of them. So here's the deal. Again, as I told the story, remember last week I told the story of the, quote, mean nurse that was like, I'm not 
sticking a vaccine into anyone that isn't a healthcare worker over 65. And the other nurse was like, nobody left in line is 65 or a healthcare worker. Well, that nurse was on a thing that day and she was not a person of color. She was a white woman. She was carrying it up in her Karen way. And he was like, well, what are we going to do? Throw the shots away? And the woman said, I want to give it, this is, okay, this was the complicated thing that I didn't explain. You can make an appointment and wait in the line. And then you can just show up without an appointment. And if there's any leftover, you'll get it. She wanted to give leftover vaccines to those people that just showed up, whether they're white and not a healthcare worker and not even made an appointment. She didn't want the people who made an appointment as food service industry or performers to be able to get one because she didn't like that the website, had, but that's not her opinion. It's run by the city, not the nurse stabbing you. And that's why there was this big argument because she'd been doing this all day. And this guy was like, this woman is impossible. Now, a friend of mine who went in the morning was turned away. That's all I heard. And then I followed up with her and talked to her about it. And she said, because they were pulling elderly and healthcare workers out of line and prioritizing them, which is great. That's what you should do. They had done it all by the time I got there. As I said, I booked the last appointment of the day with a sense of fairness. Like, well, at the end of the day, they're going to have to get rid of shots anyway. So again, I will say until I'm blue in the face, I didn't do anything wrong. This notion that this magical poor person from an underserved community would have taken that appointment if I didn't, is not entirely true. So this person with no money is going to drive 30 miles on a Saturday afternoon, then they don't have to work. I mean, this is not, these are two different stories going around. There are cases all over America of weird things that happen where all of a sudden, hey, everybody, I don't know what happened. We have extra vaccine. We're setting up tents. It's, It's got three days before you're going to throw them out. Catch as catch can, get it. We're going to prioritize 65 in healthcare. But there's no thing where someone black shows up and they go, black people get it first. That's different. That's not a thing. The thing is, in these underserved communities, for some reason, the state is not ordering vaccines for these areas. That is a systemic problem. Me booking an appointment... Sure, it might be part of a systemic problem that the city of Glendale had some extra vaccines. I I don't know. But if I can get an appointment, I'm getting a fucking appointment. And I did it on the back of no one. And I did it fair and fucking square. And double fair and square because I was in the line and I saw everyone else in line. Not one person was elderly behind me. And nobody was a healthcare worker that wasn't getting served. This was the point of my story last week. So there you go. I cannot explain it any other way. At this point, unless you're cheating the system, everyone getting vaccinated is a fucking good thing. I think I'm doing a good thing by talking about the vaccine and how important it is. And by the way, I'm not running around. I'm, I'm not going to go to restaurants. I'm not going to abuse my privilege of the vaccine because I know that I could still catch it and pass it to someone else. But I have heard that it is safe to be around other vaccinated people. That's kind of the point of the vaccine. So I will be making a plan to see my family 
within a few months because I haven't seen my parents in a year and a half and they are elderly and need some help. So I'm sorry if that seems like some white woman shit to people. I would argue that it is not. And I guess we'll have to agree to disagree. But I really resent when people just post shit about me with zero context instead of maybe just adding up who I am in their head and going, I think I know what she's saying. I, I could not articulate this story last week because I didn't, I, I, it, it just, I'm, I was just out of my mind with excitement. But I didn't think I had to articulate that I didn't actually take an appointment away from anyone. So that's it. That's the story. And I'm not talking about it anymore. Because I, I, this is a whole new world for me. The, react, the reactivity of people who do not know. They just, it's all about just coming down on anyone. I can't, I can't even get into it. Oh, is this fun for the new listener? I'm sorry, but this is a family meeting for regular listeners and people that troll the podcast. All right, now can we talk about fucking fun things or what? I'm doing no wine for Lent. It's surprisingly easy. I mean, I don't know. I was getting into kind of a wine groove for a while that, you know, wasn't great. I was, I was, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a drink a few times a month person. And I'm, I'm even one of those people that can have a glass, open a bottle of wine at home, have a glass, put the wine away with my, oh, you know, those great stoppers that suck the oxygen out. Oh, I am obsessed. I just made a really disgusting motion with my hands. If you're a Patreon subscriber, you can see me make what looks like a jerk off motion, but I was really doing a wine suction mo- <laughs> motion. Anywho, um, I put that in the little wine fridge. Oh my God, what a rich bitch. Yeah, hold six bottles. A friend of mine bought it for me 10 years ago. Calm the fuck down. <laughs> I mean, this is how crazy it is these days. There's a girl I know online. She's young in her early twenties. She bought one of those, uh, Ladies, men who like cold things, people, do you know those that like skincare refrigerators they make? They're small. I mean, you know, you put them on your counter in your bathroom if it fits or somewhere and you plug it in and you put all your creams and masks and it's nice and cold when you take it out. This girl I follow who blatantly is like, I'm young and don't have a lot of money, but I saved up a hundred bucks for a skincare fridge because it meant a lot to me to take care of myself because I used to not take care of myself. And uh, and I was like, uh, you've influenced me to buy one. So I got one. And then this woman was attacking both of us going, this is frivolous. People are suffering. And she's like, I'm a young black woman, you fucking white bitch. <laughs> like, well, She didn't say that. I'm thinking that. Like, white people stop, stop. You're making the internet terrible. Do you understand? (laughs) Like you are offended by things that don't apply to you. Every day I'm like, oh, gotta, gotta say that the wine fridge isn't, but even if it was expensive, I'm almost 47 years old. I deserve a wine fridge. See, she said she deserves. See, that's entitlement. It just never ends. The voices in my head. 
I had managed to um, tame them. You know, six months ago, I made a promise on this podcast. I would stop with the prefacing because I'm worried about what everyone on the internet's going to say. And then I stopped with the prefacing. All right, let's try to wrangle this podcast back. I got some fun stories about nitrous to tell you. I mean, come on. But yeah, so still doing the no wine for Lent. And uh, again, in a non-religious way, just Lent is a good markage of time. But there is something about it. I'm telling you, whenever I go, oh, I would like a glass of wine, I go, it's Lent. You gave something up instead of like, you're dieting. Like, it feels like I'm doing something altruistic, which I'm not. It feels like I'm doing something for a cause or a deepening of a spirituality, which again, none of that is taking place. But I'm not denying myself, you know, It's, it's different than you can't you're trying to blank, 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 lose weight or get healthy or blah, blah, which, you know, so, but what's just been interesting about it is, yeah, so I'm like a, I am literally that person at the doctor. I circle zero to five a week or whatever. I was able to have a glass and put it away, put the rest of the bottle away. But during the pandemic, it was like one glass was three. And then, you know, oh, drink um, once a week was now three to four times a week. And I was like, oh, this is not good. It's not, and at a certain point, it's not fun anymore. It's like, you miss that anticipation of, oh, I'm going to have a really good dinner, this beautiful glass of wine, you know. So it's good. And I'm I'm busy with my non-alcoholic mixtures. Last night I made, I use this stuff called Gia, Gia, I don't know. And I also have another brand called Seedlip. None of this is an ad. i just telling you what I bought. Um, it's got this kind of flowery taste to it. It gives that kick, you know, if you have a, a hard alcohol drink, which I'm not a big fan of, so... Maybe people who actually drink hard alcohol are like, no, this is terrible. But I mix that with pear nectar. I cut up some kiwi. And I, I just use the kiwi as a decoration. And then um, I squeeze a little lemon and lime juice in there, a little agave, a little bit of sparkling water. Um, and I throw uh, a grapefruit in there. Not an entire one, but like a little grapefruit juice. I shake it up. Pour it over ice. And, and it comes with these like elder flowers that you can put on it. Like it's so cute and it gives you that nice, especially if you have like nice cocktail glasses like I do because I'm a rich white woman. Um, it just gives you that feel when you kind of are in that mood for a cocktail and, and you're not like, you know, you can't be sucking on your water bottle all day like a baby. Sometimes you got to have a grown up glass. Anyway, so this week, what are we talking about? I'm going to tell you, since it's Women's International History Month, a, a little fun fact about Florence Nightingale. I know for me, I just thought of her as like, she was real nice. And, you know, she was like a pretty nurse. And her hair was in a bun. And she wore a little dress. And she whispered to everyone and said, good night. And yeah, I'm a nice nurse. I'll tuck you in now. You know, just this sort of... Like, she didn't have a brain. She was all maternal. And then I read that she basically, like, invented ventilation that is really helpful during a pandemic. So we're going to honor her in a proper way. And unlike drunk history, I won't be drunk doing it. I'm going to talk about, um, I don't know, just kind of looking back on the pandemic, on the year that was 2020, and all this stuff that came to me because I didn't push for it. And... um the anxiety about re-entry. I have a couple listener emails here um, that I'll answer, which will send me off on different tangents, I'm sure. 
And I have a little thought about Paris Hilton and David Letterman and, and uh, just a, a quick take on it. It's just another way to go with it. It's not exactly I'm, I'm married to my take on it. I just throwing it out there for conversation. So, first I'll tell you about my, it involves a story about a life coach and, and I'm getting a hot flash in my office and so I'm taking, I'm wearing a blazer, I'm taking it off. Actually, I'm just going to do this, um, but I feel like my bra is showing. Well, give him a thrill, give him a thrill. If you want to see my bra strap, join the Patreon, but Okay. Don't get excited, everybody. Okay, so most people had a hard year financially in 2020. I had a hard year financially in 2019. I was on tour. I was losing money. I couldn't get another stand-up comedy special. I couldn't get a book deal. I still can't get either of those things. That's fine. Um, I had left a writing job only to find out that other writing jobs weren't as plentiful. It was just a real... I, I remember I talked about this on the podcast a lot. I called it a constipated year. I called it Elvis's colon. And no one else was going through this. And I felt like a weirdo. I was that friend that was like, can I talk to you about something? I'm real nervous right now. My savings is really getting low. I think I'm going to have to move back home with my family. It didn't dawn on me that if worse comes to worse, you can always ask your friends to start a GoFundMe for you. <laughs> That's what I always think. Like, Oh, I can always start a GoFundMe. Right? Um, oh, actually, that looks kind of cool, the bra strap. Hang on. Oh, yeah, that's a look. That's a look, honey. I mean, if you're a Patreon subscriber, let me just pitch this to you real quick. I Because I got to tell you, I don't think you guys realize what it is. So I started the Patreon. It's the one-year anniversary, pretty much. I started it because I was going to do less touring because it was starting to be just too hard to, to count on in terms of like, is the audience coming? Are they not? What's the weather when I travel? It was a lot. And I thought, well, maybe I'll do a Patreon version of my podcast. I know I got a lot of listeners. Maybe if I work a little harder, they'll pay for some stuff. So there's the video version. I record it every week. It's in my home office. You can see my fun neon no fun sign. You can see me with my bra strap. There's nice lighting. And every episode, so the episode that you're listening to right now is available as a video. But what's fun about it is the video version is always longer than the audio version because I turn on the camera and start talking to everybody. And I might say, you know, a little more salacious things on there. Then we start the audio version that you are listening to now. Now that is just five bucks a month. And with that, you get an extra bonus 20-minute audio episode. And uh, this, this, this year's, this month's $5 bonus was me talking about Tiger Woods' accident and my thoughts on why he got in one. I got a whole theory. And I'm also telling a story about how I was at a day job that involved going to the Ryder Cup where Tiger was playing 20 years ago. And I was uh, coming down off Klonopin from taking a flight <laughs> and trying to work at this financial firm's event. So you get little fun stories like that. They're 20-minute bonus episodes. I do one every week, but you have to pay more to get more, right? So if you're a $10 level, you get two of those. And at the $10 level, you also get a one-hour bonus episode every month. So the $10 level gets the video version, two 20-minute bonuses, and a one-hour bonus. 
And the one-hour bonuses have been things like me live on stage with Dana Carvey doing an interview with him last year. He prank called my mom and pretended to be the Beatles. Um, I interviewed a good friend who was uh, the Nexium cult tried to abduct him. He tells me the whole juicy story that he's never told before. One of the episodes, uh, sometimes they're listener email episodes where you guys ask me questions and I answer them. One time I took everyone out and about on a typical day, took you to my storage space. I mean, (laughs) stupid shit like that. And uh, so you get a lot for your buck. And then as the levels go up, you get more and more. And sometimes there is exclusive merchandise as well. And you can unsubscribe anytime. You know, come. some people are like, this month is too hard. I'll come back next month. It's all good. So that's that's really, truly one of my jobs. I write part-time on TV, but but I need to um, offset that. What, that's not the word, offset. I need to... I need to have a second income is my point, and it's not touring, so it's Patreon. So there you go. Patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. I hope you join me. It's super fun. I really love doing it, and when I love doing something, I usually do my best. But I love doing this podcast, too, so I encourage you to give it five stars on iTunes. Subscribe. If you're you're just a lurker and a listener, subscribing is this easy thing you can do that costs you no money and really helps me. The more subscribers I have, the better it is for everybody. It shows I'm a viable person in the marketplace. Okay, great. So, 2019 sucked. So I decided maybe I'll hire a life coach. I mean, I go to therapy, but this isn't a therapy thing. I don't need to go back into my past. And, you know, this isn't any like, am I really thinking I'm not worth it and I'm not going for it? It's like, oh, I'm going for everything. It's just not working out. Now, I don't know what I thought a life coach was going to do. And by the way, speaking of, you don't have any money you spend it on a life coach. But, you know, it was a few hundred bucks. And I was like, well, let me just see what this is all about. Because I really thought... I don't know. I just thought something would, again, the constipated year, I thought it would be like an enema. I thought something would move if I had a life coach and not the kind that follows you around and goes, don't eat this, do that, blah, blah, blah. It was just this one hour session a week where I would go, I'm feeling stuck. But it turns out this woman was an actual licensed therapist. And she was just beginning to do life coaching because she needed extra money. And so she wasn't really... I mean, as much as people bag on life coaching, it is an, it is its own art, right? It, you do People do go um, get certified for it. And it is different than being a therapist because although you may use a little psychology in some, in some areas, it's, it really is about doing and not totally just looking within. And so the, the appointment started to feel like a therapy session. And I would say, you know, I already talk about what we're talking about in therapy. I just need something, right? Like, like, I don't know what I need. I think at that point, I just needed a shaman. Like, I really just needed something like a spiritual intervention. I just needed something, just some kind of, you know, I know faith is is belief in the absence of proof, but I needed proof to have faith. I just needed someone to say, almost like a mentor is what I needed. You know, I needed like Joan Rivers to be alive and have her say, are you kidding me? You think this is a hot year? What about the year that after Carson wouldn't talk to me anymore? My husband killed himself. You know, I needed that. And this life coach, God bless her, but she's this woman. She was older than me, maybe 15 years older. And I think she was having a hard time. Her business was not going well. <laughs> so the sessions would turn into her telling me 
Her therapy business isn't going well. And I think she was a, she would have been, a, she is a great therapist. It was just, these things happen. I was going through the same thing. Her, her, her business wasn't going well. So she added life coaching and she's got this whole thing. And I can join that for 1995. No, I'm not doing, no, I've got you right here. I'm not joining your thing. So she goes, what do you, okay, well, what do you want to make a year? And I said, you mean like dream that's like just wild and out of the blue. And she's like, no, I mean, everyone would say like five million a year would be great. But like dream, but like realistic, like with what you do for a living, you could technically hit that. And I said, okay, I'd like to make half million a year every year. I'd like to make half million a year. I'd like to make more, but I would be fine with just half million a year. And she's like, whoa. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I was like, well, technically, if I sold a TV show, um, that got turned into a series. And I'm talking about keep half million a year. Like you, you like, so people in my industry pay 10% to an agent, 10% to a manager and 5% to a lawyer. So we, t- we pay 25% of every check to other people, then taxes on top of it. So we keep about 40% of our paycheck. So I don't mean earn 500,000. I mean, earn more and keep 500,000. So she goes, whoa, I go, we asked me to dream big. I go, listen, if I was really, really well known on tour and doing 5,000 seat theaters, you know, I could make that money in like 10 nights, um, but I don't have that. But you know, that would be one way. Another way would be if I sold a TV show and it went into full production and I was the star and creator, you know, and I said, or, you know, uh, yeah, so you know, stuff like that. And she goes, well, she was almost like, well, someone thinks highly of themselves. I was like, one of this is like a wish I thought it was going to be like working the secret. Like, okay, now tell me how to think about that in a certain way so that it comes true. <laughs> like, I don't know why I was doing I know better than to do this shit. But I just, when I said 500,000, she just looked at me and went, oh, like, well, guess I didn't know you couldn't live on less than that. I'm like, I do live on less than that. That's the point is that I'm, you asked me to dream. And she was basically like, your dream is too big. I don't know. I don't know. And she was like, well, I don't, it just for me, she's like, for me, I don't have a shot at making that much. So I don't know how to help you. I was like, okay. (laughs) And she was just like breaking down. And I was like, this life coach situation, I don't think is working out. So after the session, I emailed her and I said, I don't wish to do any further sessions. I, I, it is, it's not you. It's completely you. (laughs) It's not you. It's just that I actually don't think this is what I need. I think I just need to relax and have more faith that <clears throat> I've been doing the same career for decades. I'm doing nothing wrong. It's a lean year. It happens to everyone. And I guess I'm just haven't experienced that in a while. I'm scared and I need to work on that. There's really, there's nothing I can force here, right? She was like, well, you know, then it's like, well, you're giving up. And I was like, I'm giving up. And I was like, you can keep the money or if you know someone that you want to give them a couple free sessions, it's on me. Maybe I need to pay it forward. So that was it. Our relationship was over. But I'll never forget her face because we were doing actually it was funny. It was pre-pandemic, but we were doing it over Zoom because I found out she didn't have an office. Our first session was in an office and it was in like one of those buildings in an office park, but I couldn't find her because her name wasn't on any of the things. And she was like, oh, we're just redoing the office. Like it was some weird thing, but the office wasn't really hers. 
It was a beautiful office. So I was like, I made the right choice. And then she's like, do you mind if we do the next session over Skype? And I was like, sure. And she's like, I'm just doing a lot of home stuff and it's hard for me to go back and forth. And and I figure, you know, you're, you're a half hour commute away, so it might be easier for you. And, you know, we can meet in the office another time. I was like, sure, sure. And then it like revealed over the Skype that, well, it's not really her office and she's working from home. And I was like, okay, I see what's happening. Again, if she was actually life coaching, it would have been fine. Well, I don't know what she was doing. She was just listening to me and making a lot of faces. <laughs> and then telling me her problems. I mean, it was almost like this, if I, it's too, as they say, on the nose, right? Every comedy script, I don't know if, like, anytime um, I've, I've pitched a show idea to a network last year, um, and one of the characters is a life coach and it, it is a little, it wasn't based on this woman, but I thought my experience with her was so funny that it could inform this character. And the character was, would be kind of based on me and someone I could play, which is like this, this woman who is a life coach because she didn't have the faith in herself to finish her degree, um, in, uh, you know, grad school for psychology. And she she didn't want to be a therapist because therapists have to just listen to people and gently guide them. And life coaches are more like, I'm going to tell you what to do. And this character is more of a, I'm going to tell you what to do per- person. And that was her fatal flaw and, and whatever. But when I pitched it to this network, they're like, I like the concept of the show, which it wasn't about her. It was about a family. She's like, I like this family, um, but do something different than life coach because every pitch has a character that's a life coach. And I was like, they always say stuff like that. And I'm like, and, but not every show is about a life coach. Like, so you hear a lot of pitches about it. Maybe that would be funny. They're like, I don't think their whole thing. I don't think everyone around America relates. I'm like, yeah, but in this case, they're not supposed to relate. It's a, it's a, we're making fun of it as like a stupid job, which I know it isn't. I actually think it's cool. But like she's the the worst nightmare version and they do exist. Oh, whatever. Don't even get me started on these fucking networks and the dumb things they say when you pitch them shit. Anyway, <clears throat> so I was pushing, 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 pushing. And I'm telling you, I don't like to say this because I know so many people suffered this year. <clears throat> but I was talking to my psychiatrist, the one that prescribes me my meds. So psychiatrist, somebody asked me this on Twitter. The psychologist, who when I say my therapist, that's my psychologist. She has a degree in psychology, right? She cannot prescribe medication. She is not an MD. So she and I chat and do cognitive behavior therapy or anxiety work or whatever. And she advises me on my thinking patterns and my behavioral patterns and all that. Now, the psychiatrist, I have him because he prescribes my antidepressants, but you don't do weekly one-hour appointments with this guy. You check in once a month, and once your meds are stabilized, it can even be just like four times a year, and the appointments are like 20 minutes. So he's not there to um, totally affect your day-to-day behavioral techniques. So most people, most good psychiatrists who prescribe medication very much encourage you to also have a talk therapist. So anyway, the med- but the medicine guy, I've been with him 18 years. It's crazy. And I said, you know, yeah, I mean, the pandemic, it's not winding down by any means, but it's, 
it's not this same feeling of last year, certainly, where we're all in this together and everybody's stuck at home. I mean, it's like everyone's kind of started doing their own thing halfway through. And at this point, we are getting closer to people, you know, everyone being vaccinated and everyone going and doing things. And I said, I'm I'm not ready yet or I'm not comfortable, but I'm, I'm having a lot of just generalized anxiety about it. And he said, well, yeah, it's a transition. And he said, it doesn't mean that you're this loner who never wants to leave the house again. It just means that it was a transition getting into the lockdown, which it really wasn't for me. <laughs> he goes, but it's going to be a transition getting out of it. Even for people that want to get out of it, it's going to feel weird. Not even weird because you're like, is this safe? Like, forget COVID for a minute. Just if you've been housebound in a, in most ways for a year, just getting back out there is going to feel there's, I, I almost feel like, um, I got to know myself so well this year. I had such a good time with myself. I know this sounds crazy because wherever I go, there I am, right? I'm me, but I'm going to miss me because we're never going to have what we had again. I mean, you might think with your partner, maybe a lot of you with partners had a really good year together and you got a lot of family time that you wouldn't normally get. And and maybe you're even going to do things a little differently if, you, if you're lucky enough to be able to... Um, create that kind of life for yourself. Maybe you've learned something and you're not going to work in the office on Fridays anymore or, you know, whatever it is. Honest to God, you know, I guess not every person who lives alone feels this way, but because of a lot of the work I did on myself and because I really just did what I felt like this year, I really, I had a good time with myself and I'm going to miss us. (laughs) I'm going to miss what me and me were doing um, at home. Because it's not going to be the same again. And, you know, I'm really scared that the minute everything opens back up that I'm just going to lose myself and go right back to the busy. And I'm occupied. Let me put it this way. I'm occupied seven days a week. I always do a little work here and there. You know, I think that's what a lot of creatives are like. But I really want to make sure I'm not jumping out of bed and making coffee, going straight to work. I want to make sure that I still get up and take a walk for an hour or still do my home yoga or whatever, you know, in addition to taking classes. I want to make sure I'm not neurotically, you know, I don't even know, just anything. I, I just, I'm scared. I it, it's, ira- it's rational, but irrational because you know when it's irrational when I can't articulate it. It's just like, it's going to be different. Change is change, even if it's good. And change is scary. And so, I realized, though, that what I loved about this year was that because everyone else slowed down and because I did end up getting a writing job at the beginning of the year, which saved my ass financially, I could breathe for a minute and I could have some months where I went, what do I feel like doing? And then it was just through noticing. I mean, as much as I fucking hate social media, it's such a double-edged sword. I noticed people were anxious on social media and I thought, God, I've always wanted to help people and do something with anxiety, but I never could quite work anxiety into my act exactly the way that I wanted. And not that I don't think it's funny, but I knew there was, I knew the the balance was off. It's not about learning to make jokes about anxiety, but it's learning to talk about anxiety, infusing a sense of humor, which helps people work on it. That's That's really my belief is that sense of humor needs to be part of any kind of anxiety work, any kind of recovery of any kind. It's, sense of humor is a big deal. 
And when people are so afraid and so unfamiliar with anxiety, I think it's very heavy to them. And so that's just by sitting and dreaming and going, I'm going to turn on my Zoom and teach relaxation classes. Is that weird? But just by doing these things and just kind of putting my ego aside and not being like, I'm well-known comedian Jen Kirkman, it doesn't matter. I'm a person who knows about anxiety. I've got a, lot, a big reach. I've, I've got a good sense of humor. I think I can talk to these people that are feeling a certain way. And that just grew into, okay, but now is there a way to maybe turn it into like a small side business? And then that from there, I realized, God, if I could go on speaking tours about anxiety, I'd really prefer that at this point in my life than stand up. <clears throat> now, that's a goal that that takes many years to do. Um, you have to sort of just get your feet wet and get solidified and things. And that's why I'm excited about I have a podcast coming out in 2021 about anxiety called Anxiety Bites. Uh, I'm waiting for the producer to be assigned to me. It's with a real network and uh, that'll be coming your way. But you can follow Anxiety Bites Weekly on Instagram. I'm there giving um, quotes and memes and stuff like that. So just follow that and help that get a really big number of people following it. That would be great. My point is, I just have been looking back on the past year and going, there was so much stuff that was hard, you know, um, people died, people, people I know died, people I know, there's a lot of loss um, and some uncertainty and some just wondering what I did with my life up until this point. And it was just a lot of stuff, but then there was so much good as well. And I realized in the most bizarre way, I forged such a relationship with myself that it feels like I'm going to miss her. And I hope I don't sound like a lunatic. Not that a lunatic is someone that, no, I don't, I know I don't sound like a lunatic. I might sound a little woo-woo, but I really, it just feels very deep down real to me. And I wonder if any of you relate, if you understand what I'm saying, um, you might even be able to articulate it better than me. I seem fun at gmail.com. Send me an email. Let me know. Do you know what I'm saying here? What are you going to miss about you? What are you and you feeling about getting back out there? I know you and you have had your little cocoon all year. You know, and I just learned about myself, which is like, I don't always have the financial resources to do this, but sometimes with a lot of time off, the right ideas come to me, but I need a big, my brain needs a lot of space to process. So that brings me to my root canal. You're like, how is this about a root canal? Well, because, you know, okay, so we had the heart monitor. I went to get my cardi echocardiogram. I told you guys last week, everything's fine. So I'm like, oh, I guess I had to chalk that up to anxiety. Now I need a root canal because my nerve is damaged, even though there's no cavity. And my dentist was like, a lot of people are grinding their teeth in their sleep lately. I'm seeing it a lot because of the pandemic. And I was like, oh yeah, I did break a tooth two months ago for no reason. And I went, ah, oh, fuck. I used to grind my teeth years and years and years ago. I thought I had stopped. I probably did stop. It probably started again. I don't think I'm grinding because usually your teeth start to... Um, you can tell on the tops of your teeth. He said he doesn't see signs of grinding, but I'm probably clenching. And I'm like, I think I am too. So here I am clenching, heart racing. And yet I've never been happier in many ways. I don't feel stressed. But I think it's because my body was like, you know what? 
She's by herself in a pandemic. Let's not put everything in her brain. The body will take some of the stress. And I'm that's why I'm so big into like physical relaxation because we really have no fucking idea what this is doing to our bodies because I think our minds are just like trying to protect us and are offloading a lot of shit in our bodies. By the way, if you want to buy one of my relaxation classes, I can't recommend it enough. Um, it's in the show notes. It's eight bucks. It's an hour long class and you get a study guide that comes with it that you can read. And if anyone needs anxiety help in general, go to anxietybitesweekly at Gmail. Send me an email that just says help. I'll send you a big old booklet for free that you can read. And it's it sounds overwhelming because it's a lot of pages, but it's broken up very easy to read. So anyway, um, here's what happened. So as you know, I had all my dentist woes. I went to the dentist during the surge in L.A., when it was like, we don't have any room for the bodies. Can we, does, if anyone has any extra freezer room, let us know. It, it was just terrible. There were 17,000 new cases a day. Every day, 17,000 new fucking cases. And people were still like, I think I should go home for Christmas though. No, I do. I do. Yeah, my mom makes a great pie and I deserve it because I've been good all year. Don't even get me started. You can go back to those episodes. So during the December surge, I had to see the dentist twice because of this broken tooth. And I didn't get COVID, thank the baby and adult Jesus and teenage Jesus, whatever, wherever he was, whatever he was doing. We never hear about him. Um, but it was very nerve wracking. Now I'm less nerve wracked because I, first of all, all the dentists and everyone in those offices has been vaccinated. But the other part is, uh, you know, if you make the first appointment of the day, there's really no one else there. They've got the HEPA filters going. Everyone's double masked. Once you're in that office, you know, the HEPA filters going, you're the you're the only one with your mask off. So you're not breathing in any COVID germs. Everyone, you know, there's no there's not one single case, at least in the United States, of anyone getting it at the dentist. So I'm not that special that I'm gonna be that one case, right? So I'm going to get my teeth cleaned. I saw that I saw it somewhere. There's a great podcast I love called In the Bubble. It's, uh, you know, wherever you get podcasts. And it's Andy Slavitt, who now works in the Biden administration on COVID. But it's it's about COVID. And it's about it's epidemiologists talking. And there's a really great episode that's like the to do and the to don't list um, after everyone's vaccinated. Like, what should we be doing? And what what should we stay away from? And it's very positive and encouraging. So I highly recommend that podcast. But it was on that podcast or something similar that was like, oh, I think it was actually an email I got from my health insurance company that was like, time to get back to your appointments. Do your mammogram, do your dental appointments, like it's okay, you know? And so I did. I made a tooth cleaning for a couple of weeks from now. By the way, someone emailed me a couple of weeks and goes, stop talking about the dentist. I've stopped listening to your podcast. I'm like, what? Listen, I went to the fucking dentist during a pandemic twice. I, I was up, uh, I do a free podcast. People write me. I'm not listening. I, I, need, I need. Well, if she's not listening, how does she know if maybe I did stop? I mean, I, I didn't because here I am. But oh, can you believe people? The Patreon people never tell me what to talk about. They're nice people. People get things for free. Boy, aren't they the most entitled? So anyway, but you'll like this story. So it's a happy story. So I go to the dentist. I call them up. I say, I have my teeth cleaning in a few weeks, but I am having such a bad toothache that I don't think I can wait. And they're like, all right, well, come on in. So I come on in. 
I go sit in the dentist's office. Hygienist comes in. Now, I hadn't seen this woman in a long time. She reminds me of a Maria Bamford character. Maria is a dear friend of mine, but she reminds me of like the target lady. She's got that kind of energy. She's not a relaxing person. And she comes into the room. Now, she's going to take an x-ray. So she's got to get the x-ray film. And then she's got to put the weighted blanket on me. And she's got to do something. But what she does, she you can sit here, hang your purse there. I sit down and she goes, she she puts a paper towel in front of me like a, like it's a tray and says, okay, take your masks off first things first. And I put them on the paper towel and then she walks over to a desk that's very far, I can't reach for it and puts them down and then goes, okay, I'll be right back and leaves the room with the door open. So now I'm maskless with the door open. HEPA filter is going, but now it doesn't matter because the door's open and she's gone for like minutes. And I'm like, what, this, what is this? First things first. No, no. Actually, last things last is the fucking mask. So I go back to the thing and I put the masks on and she comes back in and looks at me like, how'd that happen? And I go, I just thought I'd wait until the last moment because, you know, kind of paranoid. And then she puts the thing on me, gets the, oh, this isn't the right film, you know, in and out. I mean, over like 10 minutes, she wanted me to sit there without a mask first things first. (laughs) There's always something. You feel good until you get there. And then there's always one wacko who's running around with a weird energy. So my dentist comes in, they go, the x-ray's fine. There's no cavity there. You had a crown there two years ago. It's fine. And he goes, but I remember this tooth. And I remember telling you that the nerve in there is not going to hold out very long. Eventually, you'll need a root canal. He goes, now I have to test it to see if it's the nerve. Oh, my God. You know that cold, cold, compressed air? He had to spray it on a cotton ball and then touch my tooth. And I go, ah! And I jumped, and it hurt for three hours after. And he goes, yeah, that's a nerve damage. I'm like, oh, my God. So he said, you got to have a root canal. And I said, I've had a root canal once before, and all I remember is tears and blood. And he looked at my records and he goes, your last root canal with us was 2003. And I went, what? And he goes, oh my God, Jen, you've been coming here almost 20 years. And I was like, I don't know what it was. Maybe this is what, when you don't have a family, when you don't have a family, your own kids. I'm like, wow, I've been with my psychiatrist for 18 years. I've been with my dentist for 18 years. I really for and my, been with my manager almost 18 years, my comedy manager. I forge long-lasting relationships. I am a good, healthy person, and I have people in my life that love and care about me. <laughs> it was so life-affirming. I can't quite explain why. But I love this dental office. My original dentist, God rest his soul, uh, passed away years ago, but his daughter is now like the head surgical dentist. She's not just the one that comes in and does x-rays and things. She's she's going to do my root canal surgery. So, but this dentist, super nice guy. He's always been around. Love him. And he's like, I said, I, you didn't do the surgery, um, but it was, it was hard. And he goes, I go, now I remember. I, I think it was the time I didn't have any money and we didn't know I was getting a root canal. It was a surprise one. It was like I was getting a cavity filled and they're like, oh shit, this is going to be a root canal. And I had to call my mother and I was crying, oh, I need money. 
And uh, my mother was mad at me. It was like a whole bad scene. It wasn't good. And then I remember when they did it, like they didn't, I don't think they numbed me enough. It was either they didn't numb me enough and I felt it for one second or I was so anxious that I would feel it. And then also when they prop your mouth open for so long and I I don't like that feeling. I've got a very sensitive gag reflex. Uh, Yoo-hoo, fellas. I don't know if that's a thing people like. And then um, I also hate that like feeling of like that I can't swallow. I, I hate it. And it makes me very, very anxious. And so I said to the dentist, I think I'm going to have anxiety. He's like, don't worry about it. It doesn't hurt. We'll numb you like crazy. And I said, no, I know it's not anxiety about pain, but isn't this like your mouth is propped open for a while? And I, you know, as much as I'm fine talking about anxiety in public, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to talk about it at the doctor's office, especially because I always feel like they think I'm trying to get drugs. Does that make sense? And so I was like, I- I'm really anxious. I'm not sure what to do about it. And I said, is this like, can I get twilight or go under or something? And and I really don't want to go under anesthesia. And he's like, well, we could do laughing gas. And I, this is how I've never had laughing gas. I didn't think I had till I remembered I did have it when I had my wisdom teeth out. I always thought that was me going under twilight, but it wasn't because I don't remember an anesthesiologist being there. Uh, so I think I have had it, but I, I guess I just forgot because I got them out like 30 years ago. And uh, I said, oh, okay, what? This is how dumb I am. Won't me laughing get in the way? He goes, what? Are you serious? I go, oh, no. Is oh. He goes, I mean, that was like in the Pink Panther movie. I go, oh. And he goes, you're not actually laughing. He goes, I mean, technically, if you took too much, you could. And then you throw up. But we're not going to give you that much. He goes, it's like, he goes, it's like having three glasses of wine. And then, and I'm like, yes. Because, you know, I gave him my wine for Lent. It's like having three glasses of wine and then you can still drive home because it's oxygen based. And so you sit in the chair after and you breathe oxygen for like 10 minutes and you re-oxygenate and then you're fine. And I'm like, uh, how come everyone doesn't do this every fucking night? I guess that would be weird, right? Cut to I'm the Michael Jackson of nitrous. (laughs) I just get my own doctor. Um, And I said, and that's good for anxiety. And he said, well, the only thing is we put this nose, it's like a fake nose on you so you can breathe it in. And you're going to have that big clamp in your mouth. And I said, yeah, that might feel a little claustrophobic. But if the thing on my nose is spreading joy throughout my nasal cavity <laughs> passages with all that three glass of wine energy, I think that will wipe out the claustrophobia. Because The thing is, too, when I get Novocaine, I always forget this. When my nose feels, because, you know, it goes up into your nose. When my nose feels numb and I cannot feel like I'm taking a breath of air, I start panicking. And I hate it. And uh, so I'm excited. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm not into it. I I, but I'm going to do what I always do, which is. I, you know, bring my earbuds and I listen to, you know, podcasts about meditation or classical music or calming music, or I listen to a guided meditation. I kind of make a little mix on my thing. And, you know, it's the way I look at the dentist is they're there to help me. I I cannot die from this. I'm going to feel really uncomfortable. So what can I do to, to, to prepare myself before it, which is just tell myself, yeah, this is uncomfortable. You're doing fine. Anything happens, you can let them know. If you have to run out of the room screaming, you're still not going to feel it because they numbed you up. It's okay. 
And then I said, what, what is a root canal exactly? And he was so nice. He took the time and explained to me and showed it to me on the chart. And you know, I never really knew because I said, how can I not have a cavity but need a root canal? And he said, well, they're not, they're not really have anything to do with cavities. It's just a nerve that's damaged. Yours is inflamed. And so what we do is we're going to drill a hole through your perfectly healthy crown. And she's going to go in there. And she's going to clean out the canal, including remove the root. And I said, and then you wrap something around the root and put it back in. He goes, no, the root's gone. You're going to have no nerve in that tooth. And I go, oh, my God. So this is what's so crazy. So the other side of my mouth that has a root canal, I'm always afraid of something happening to it because I'm afraid I'll experience crazy amounts of pain. But he's like, no, there's no nerves there anymore. I'm like, what do we even need these nerves for? I'm kidding. But no, he said, and they clean out the canal and then they fill it with, he said, it's made from a gum tree this sort of gum residence. No, not chewing gum. You know what I'm saying. And uh, seal it all up and they put a little filling on top of the crown that they drilled and there you go. No more no more nerve. And I was like, thank you for explaining that. I never knew. Such a lovely dentist. I, I just, I do, except that hygienist, she may, oh my God, I hope she's not the one. I hope she's not the one that day. She makes me nuts. But, uh, you know, he was uh, a delight. So I feel in good hands. I know I'm in good hands. I'm not worried about that. But I just love a good dentist story. And I think a lot of it is to what you as the patient bring to it. You know, like he would be like, now, does it still hurt where I put that ice stuff? I go, yes, it's going to hurt all day. He's like, I feel so bad. I go, oh, you love it. Get out all your, I go, no, I, it's fine. Don't even worry about it. I had a mammogram this week. It's the week of poking and prodding and hurting myself. Um, and he goes, now, if, you're, if you have any pain this week and you absolutely can't stand it and need to come in sooner, let us know. I'm like, you're the only one that gives me pain. It was fine until I came in. So we had a laugh. Oh, I am fun at the dentist. But that's it. I got to bring my sense of humor, right? So everybody say prayers for me on Thursday the 11th. said I was going to get into the Paris Hilton, David Letterman thing. I don't know. I don't want to cause controversy, but I'll save it till next week because we had enough controversy with the vaccine. I'll, I'll talk about it next week. You're probably like, I don't even know what the Paris Hilton, David Letterman thing is. Good. Don't worry about it. Now, for those of you, uh, my $10 bonus episode people, Patreon, the bonus episode this week, 20-minute episode about something going on in pop culture. I'm going to be talking about how Hilaria Baldwin is pregnant with her seventh baby, except she's not really pregnant. They use a surrogate and they choose their gender, these fucking weirdos. Okay, so um, that will be on Patreon. And so when you hear this episode, um, if you join Patreon, it should be there uh, Wednesday or Thursday of this week, which is Wednesday the 10th or Thursday the 11th. Okay, great. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. I will also let you know right now, this is exciting. There is a sale going on right now. We be shopping. Sale going on right now. We be shopping. Everything in my merchandise store is up to 35% off. Now, we've got to double mask, right? You put your medical one on or your KN95, but then you put a fun cloth one over it. The masks in my store are two-ply with a pocket, 
and they're adjustable, adjustable loops. And so there are fun masks. You can get one that say real men wear masks or one that says, where's yours? Or one with a picture of my sister's cat on it, mittens that says, hey girl, and she's sitting in a bale of hay. You can get one that says women are literally humans, feminist as fuck, girls will be girls. I meditated today, motherfucker, anxious and fun, all kinds of things. So enjoy that. The, the link is in the show notes, but also, I mean, there's so many t-shirts, hoodies, magnets, stickers, pins, mugs, pillows. Everyone watching the Patreon version knows I use all my own merchandise. I'm drinking out of my no fun mug right now. I have a new design in the store. I think I told you guys about anxious AF, meaning anxious and fun. So enjoy it. There's there's so much good stuff there. I have the sweatshirt. Generation X, there's a special one for you guys. I have, I own all of my merchandise sweatshirts. I buy them myself. Um, so I like can't recommend it enough. So go there. Show uh, link is in the show notes. And oh, I donate a hundred percent of the proceeds that I get to keep to food banks. So January, I donated over a thousand dollars, split three ways to food banks in um, Los Angeles, Austin, and Georgia. And then February, it went to uh, Minnesota and Michigan. And once again, it was a, just about a thousand dollars. And in March, we are donating to Mississippi and Oklahoma. They're being deeply affected by crazy winter storm and a big lack of infrastructure that can handle that kind of thing. So please do shop for a good cause. It's going to be on sale, which saves you money. You know that the portion that I get to keep, I'm given to the food banks and I post the receipts on social media the first of every month. So there you go. You can find the thread on my Twitter at Jen Kirkman and you can see the receipts from 2021. I want to give a shout out to my Patreon subscribers. Jason J. Johantgis. Johangis. I'm saying it wrong. Marie Mihail and Dana Sharer. Now, I stopped doing shout outs because somebody wrote to me, I don't want a shout out. And so now it's by request. So thank you for... Thank you all for being Patreon subscribers. Now, Jason J, Marie Mihail, Dana Scherer, good friends of mine, all of you. Oh, I didn't talk about Florence Nightingale and I didn't even get to the listener emails. Oh my God, there's so much going on. All right, let's read the listener email. Then we will get to You know what? I'm going to keep I'm going to do a big listener email thing next week. Let, let's just get right to Florence Nightingale. Okay. So as I was saying, um I I think when you say Florence Nightingale to me, I go, I don't know, she was some kind of nurse. She was real nice. Guys, Women's International History Month. Today we celebrate Florence Nightingale. And for those of us who feel like we really don't know a lot about her, and that could be because I'm dumb or because the man is keeping us down and not really teaching all the details, let's talk about how cool she was. So this is from The Atlantic. In the health section, we're just rediscovering a 19th century pandemic strategy, the first way to fight a new virus would once have been opening the windows. And I know I talked about that on a previous episode. Um, this woman, Sarah 
Zhang, who wrote this article, said, A few years ago, when I still had confidence in our modern ability to fight viruses, I poured over a photo essay of the 1918 flu pandemic. How quaint, I remember thinking, as I looked at people bundled up for outdoor classes in court and church. How primitive their technology, those nurses in gauze masks. How little did I know? I felt secure, foolishly, in our 100 additional years of innovation. But it would soon become clear that our full-body hazmat suits and negative pressure rooms and HEPA filters mattered little to Americans who couldn't find N95 masks. In our quest for perfect solutions, we'd forgotten an extremely obvious and simple one, fresh air. Miasma theory, discredited, of course, by the rise of germ theory, held that disease came from bad air, emanating from decomposing matter and filth. This idea peaked in the 19th century when doctors, architects, and one particularly influential nurse, Florence Nightingale, became fixated on ventilation's importance for health. It manifested in the physical layout of buildings, windows, many of them, but also towers erected for the sole purpose of ventilation and elaborate ductwork to move contaminated air outdoors. Historic buildings still bear the mark of these public health strategies long after the scientific thinking has moved on. The obsession with ventilation and the miasma theory in general was indeed wrong when it came to pathogens such as cholera and yellow fever that we now know spread through other means, water and mosquitoes respectively, but it did make sense for the diseases that invisibly stalked people through the 19th century air, measles, tuberculosis, smallpox, influenza, all much diminished as threats in the 21st century. We've gotten so good at preventing so many diseases, there's been a loss of knowledge and a loss of experience, says Jean Kasaki, the author of Rise of the Modern Hospital. Science is not a simple linear march toward progress. It also forgets. Today, amid a pandemic caused by a novel airborne virus, these old ideas about ventilation are returning. But getting enough schools and businesses on board has been difficult. Fixing the air inside modern buildings where many windows don't or barely open means fighting against the very nature of hermetically sealed modern buildings. They were not built to deal with airborne threats. 19th century hospitals were. That era saw the rise of well-ventilated Nightingale pavilions, named after Florence Nightingale, who popularized the design in her 1859 book, Notes on Hospitals. As a nurse in the Crimean War, she saw 10 times more soldiers die of disease than of battle wounds. Nightingale began a massive hygiene campaign in the overcrowded hospitals, and she collected statistics, which she presented in pioneering infographics. Chief among her concerns was air. Notes on a hospital even laid out exact proportions for 20 patient pavilions that could allow 1,600 cubic feet of air per bed. Each pavilion was a separate wing radiating from a central corridor, and it had large windows that faced each other, which allowed a cross breeze to blow between the beds. The windows stayed open no matter the weather. There were stories, Kisaki told me, of hospitals in winter where the patients are closing the windows and the nurses are opening them and the doctors come and knock the glass out to make sure they stay open. In some pavilions, a central fireplace heated the room so that the contaminated air rose out of the ward via the chimney effect. That heat might have been nice in the winter, 
but they would ruin fires, but they would run fires in the fireplaces in August to keep the air moving. The pavilion plan hospitals formalized the fear of bad air in hospital design, but the idea is much older. People in the Middle Ages believed some version of this, tr- of this too. Blah, blah, blah. The massive growth of cities in the 19th century also sparked the creation of bigger and more elaborate public buildings, which meant the creation of bigger and more elaborate ventilation systems in new museums, prisons, and courthouses. Let's just get back to Florence, goddamn Nightingale. I'm just scrolling, scrolling. That might be it. That might be it. But I didn't know that Florence Nightingale wrote a book, Notes on a Hospital. I didn't know that she used an infographic before that was a thing. I didn't know that she was the one that was like, people, this is an air issue. Good for her. Were she around today, maybe she would have recognized COVID and she wouldn't have let me get on a plane on March 8th. Even though planes have great ventilation, but I was in a hotel, I was in a lobby, I was in a theater. Yeah, you get the point. One last thing for everybody. The last time I did, the last time my body was on a stage, I believe it was about March 8th, March March 9th, 2020. COVID is raging. I fly to the East Coast going, is this a bad idea? But nothing was locked down yet. We would go into lockdown a mere five days later. Miracle I didn't get COVID. I had a gig at the Kennedy Center in D.C. Thousands of people in the audience, not just there for me. It was part of a women's festival. And I did a 15-minute set or something. My last set. I think I, I don't know what I was saying. I was probably saying some crazy shit about COVID. Not really knowing what it was yet. I remember wiping the microphone with um, handy wipes. I remember someone trying to shake my hand and me going, oh God, no, COVID, as I stood six feet from them without a mask talking indoors. <laughs> you know, I was paranoid about COVID, but I didn't have the right information. But that last set exists as a bonus on my Patreon. If you are a $10 a month subscriber, you get all the things I've told you about, but you also get to hear that last set that I did. And Probably last comedy set I will have done live. It'll be two more. It'll be, we will hit the two-year mark before I will probably do something live on stage again. So that's something special you can access. And uh, I'll put the link specifically to that episode in the show notes. Um, but again, once you click the link, it will try to charge you so. That's if you want to sign up for Patreon. So what else do I want to tell you? So anything I talked about in this episode, what was that? <clears throat> my God, <laughs> I had lit, I had lit, I had light, I lit my Joan Rivers candle. It's like her, like presented as the Virgin Mary, you know, this kind of prayer candles, because I was in a mood. I talked about it all in the video Patreon version. I just felt I needed a little Joan Rivers. And I feel like she just came through me there, which is, uh, <laughs> anyway, 
It's been a pleasure podcasting for you all. I love you. Thank you for subscribing. Come back next week. And until next week, have fun.